سلام عجمیان عزیز هلو عیدتون مبارک هپی نوروز ایوریبادی انسرت نوروز موزیک any Nowruz music. I'm a really yeah. bad well, that's, that's, person. That's what this. I think is funny is like, I for me, Nowruz music is just like the sound of Sorna, like, just like a... It's a really loud trumpet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What yeah. is it called? Sorna? Sorna, yeah. It's like, they're made of different things, different parts of Iran, but like, what do you call it? Like a a woodwind, but sometimes they're brass actually mm. in certain parts of Iran. But the sound of horn you know call ring calling in the new year calling in the new year yeah so ada hamigi mubarak novruz bayram mubarak olsun novruz piruzbe any other thing we should be saying so no one feels left out oh people are going to there's no ruz is celebrated in so many places I know, so we're, we're going to miss somebody okay. for sure where i put this well first of all yeah okay go ahead let me say to you kamyar that happy noruz oh thank you um, we haven't seen each other in a while. I've been uh, I've been abroad, but uh, it was good to be. We uh, were lucky enough to celebrate Noruz together. That's true. We were together. We yeah, had yeah. some sabzi polova mahi, which I made. It was very delicious. Thank you. Um, Wait, we should also say for the you know the non-Iranian listeners, Iranian people eat sabzi polo. Uh, what is that like? Rice with. With herbs, herbs, yeah, and fried fish, mm-hmm. or I guess you can Baked bake fish, it too. Yeah. Just fish. You want to watch your 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 heart? <laughs> yeah. Your well, cholesterol. my cholesterol is high actually, so <laughs> I did I did uh, I fried it, which I shouldn't have, but whatever. But yeah, we had Norus together. We played music. It was really fun. We sat around the half scene. We took pictures with the half scene. Uh, I think a very classic Norus, right? Yeah, I mean, as far as uh, Norus go, it was very. festive we got to do all the things that we normally do um i miss charshambasuri yeah so I, i didn't get to jump over the fire i normally don't jump over the fire for a number of reasons but uh <laughs> <laughs> wait what are your reasons i actually think that this is a really good oh, thing to talk about okay, okay um, we can start with this okay th- th- well, let's go let me let me introduce the noruz discourse and then we for, can talk about yeah this. so like for our listeners this is our noruz clearly this is our noruz podcast episode Uh, today we're just gonna sit and talk about you know the new year, what we want to do with Adjam uh, over the next year, uh, reflecting on the year that we had, and also just Noru's topics in general. Everyone loves it. It's like our best time on the website, actually. Every every year, every year, Noru's like if you just look at the the site stats or just in terms of the articles that get shared, like uh, everybody like is is reading. You know, it's like people who only go to church on Christmas. It's people who only click on Adjam at Noruz, you know? <laughs> But that's okay. That's fine. People listen to the, the, the mix and, you know, no, that's good. We shouldn't shame people. We should embrace them. Yes. So we should we have Noruz all year. We should have, so. Yeah. How does it to Noruz, right? Every day should be Noruz. So no, that's good. Yeah. This episode, that's, we're gonna, it's all Noruz, but also in the spirit of Noruz, looking to the next year, looking to what's new. Um, I think this is okay. I think this is a perfect way to start. Thirteen ninety eight. Yes. So for those of you who don't know, last year thirteen ninety seven, we had our Kickstarter that was successful, which is last year we had our Kickstarter in thirteen ninety seven, which was successful. So we were able to raise enough money to to 
get this podcast off the ground, but also to, to pay writers, right? Thank you so much, everybody. Yes, for after this being purely a labor of love, um, now it's still a labor of love, but at least the people writing articles are getting compensated for their love. Yeah, so uh, for the editors, I mean, yeah, like we, we're still editing for the joy of it. Um, but yeah. uh, thankfully, our guest contributors are able to at least be reimbursed for you know for writing these these pieces that we 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 love to have so much yeah a nice little um a nod to the workers i think that we had to do after all these years was at least have the writing be compensated if not you know although thank you to all the editors and everyone who's ever helped with adjam the other work involved is very important and you know it requires a lot of time and effort but um no i mean it's a great start and i think that's a good way to uh, ring in this near, you know, people getting appreciated for their work and feeling like they can put their effort into something because, you know, time is valuable. Yeah, for sure. And so over the last year, with the with the money that we were able to raise with everybody's help, um, we put the podcast together. We started paying people, um, and we've been working on a couple of new projects. Right. So uh, one of the things that I wanted to mention is that we're getting ready to start a new film series. Right, it's going to be called Ajam Films. You'll definitely hear some of the stuff um, on the podcast about it in the in the future episodes. But basically, if you're from you know the region, the Ajamistan region, like uh, Central Asia, Caucasus, Iran, we want local filmmakers to um, write to us, submit their work to us, and we'll showcase it, um, do some interviews, and just have people being able to engage and watch some of these these uh, really talented filmmakers that are that are coming out and producing really great work so uh this is actually mike's idea who mike if if you guys have been following at jam you you might you might have seen the uh mahale or the mahale project um he's one of my uh partners on this project so this was his idea his brainchild so um starting in april we'll have the first uh uh, film that's, that will be uh, showcased on our website. So I'm pretty excited about that. I'm just excited about more stuff from Mike. Yeah, Mike is great. <laughs> Mike Hello, is great. Mike. Hello, Mike. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's just in terms of some of the new projects. But Kamyar, like, uh, I, I hear you're planning to get back onto the, the mixtape track. Yes, that is something that um, to, let's say, to catch people up, you know, a few years ago, there was a series of 12 uh, mixes that we did for Adjam. So a short article and then a mixed cloud mix on different topics. Um, people seem to really enjoy them. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I think originally we imagined it as like a digital residency. And then I think actually that was even before I was an editor when that started. Yeah, and then I started? became an editor and, you know, there are a lot of work. So once I sort of wrapped that up, I wasn't really able to do more. But recently I've been thinking, you know, that's so fun that I need to bring it back. But it needs a purpose, you know. Just to just to channel some of our uh, social media uh, suggestions. One of the things that shows up every time I check our Twitter, people writing, when are the mixtapes coming oh back? Oh, my gosh. You're going to make me blush. <laughs> I mean, I, I have a, I think it might just be like that one Twitter bot that I purchased and that like I'm paying from like <laughs> some server farm somewhere to ask for mixtapes. Hey, come here. But no, I mean like, yeah, people really like them and I've heard of them being used as a pedagogical tool. Um, apparently some, 
I guess some professor, more likely an adjunct somewhere, is like teaching their students something about Iran through these mixtapes. I don't you really know. know. I actually used your uh, Rebetica mix. Oh, nice! In um, I gave a, a, a lesson on the Greek pop, uh, the Greek Turkish population exchange for my. Uh, summer course. So was I in a syllabus? Yeah, you were. Oh, nice. It was great. So I had made my students listen to uh, Rebetica music that uh, you put together in the mix. Well, would you look at that? Okay, so it's been confirmed then that I am contributing to academia. Um, <laughs> and I guess that should count as a publication. So I'll put that on my CV. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, people seem to really enjoy them. But I think I was having trouble getting back into it. I mean, obviously, it takes a long time to do, like, these hour-long mixes and write this article explaining the context. But I think what I wanted to do, which I think has now come together, is keep telling stories with the mixes. I think that's the most interesting ones. Like, one that I liked that I don't know if a lot of people actually liked as much was the jazz one. Yeah, that was fantastic. Yeah, because even just researching it, I was like, you know, yeah, it is a kind of funny history of jazz in Iran and also sometimes things being called jazz that aren't jazz and you just need to parse that but yeah I think those are the kinds of mixes I want to do a little bit more going forward so I was thinking a kind of form of like music education about you know Iranian and Ajam Ajamistan music for the next one so I think the first mixes that are going to come hopefully within a few weeks are focusing on um, actual instruments like how different instruments are shared across different musical cultures and musical traditions. And the first one, I'm biased because I play this instrument, but it'll be a oud mix that I've been working on for a while, actually. Um, so, for example, showing you know how the oud is used in different cultures and how its sound has changed and even actually its existence has kind of like appeared and disappeared in certain musical traditions where... We have history of the oud and like written texts. And then we kind of have other sources saying, well, people actually kind of stopped playing it, especially in Iran. This is the biggest place where this happens. Um, and then just kind of tracing that through actually listening to it because you can hear so much about um, about the instrument when you actually listen to it in context, understand what it's being used for or, you know, its, it's absence in some ways too. So that's why I want to start it off. And then we'll, I want to go down the list, you know, um, and not just quote unquote ethnic instruments. Like I want to do like a piano mix, mm -hmm. you know, because whew, like Iranian piano has a crazy history. And I feel like that nerding out should be shared with the Ajam audience oh, because sure. they People seem would to love that. <laughs> but I mean, you raise a really good point, right? Is this yeah. idea that I think it comes with the problem of the typology of traditional or classical music, right? We, we assume that like, okay, like Oud is a classical instrument, right? Therefore, like, you know, once you label something as classical or traditional, it, it becomes atemporal, becomes ahistorical, that you don't realize that certain instruments had trends, that they were popular in certain periods and they weren't in other per periods, or that, you know, music is one of those things that, um, just like food, um, is very transmissible, like it's very, uh, it can transmit um, to other people in different places, all uh, very easily people are going to enjoy music regardless of what language it is or where the instrument came from so um, I'm really happy to see that you're going to explore some of these uh, boundaries and the blurring of them and kind of try to problematize a little bit of this idea of like a classical uh, 
music. Yes. You know? you know, sometimes I think like some parts of the Ajam project are like too easy, you know, where it's just like, let's just deconstruct and use very simple, I mean, pick your discipline, like anthropology 101 concepts to explore some like cultural tradition. But then when I look around at the world and I see how people are discussing some of these things, I realize it's still so necessary, mm. you know, because it's easy to say, oh, you know, you shouldn't call an oud or some other, you know, Iranian instrument or regional instrument traditional because it obfuscates the history. But then you go around everywhere and if you go to see, a, you know, a Persian classical concert or a Turkish, you know, classical music concert, it says traditional music, you know, or they call everything folk music where it's like, you, you can't call everything that, you know, because there's so much more beneath the surface to where you realize those terms don't apply, you know? So, yeah, I think that's so funny, too, when people say, um, to just use, keep using this example of the oud, like, oh, like a traditional Persian instrument, like invented by the Persians thousands of years ago or whatever. Okay, one, we don't know who invented it, and you really can't use, like, a rock relief to really say, like, where this thing came from that you just found in one, you know, archaeological dig. But that aside... The oud was literally in at least certain types of Persian music, the kinds that we associate like, you know, sonati music, disappeared. And people had to like re-remember and like find the instrument again and start building them again. So then when people say, oh, this, you know, traditional Persian instrument, it's like, well, traditional when, you know, right. like maybe a couple hundred years of history or a thousand years of history that we have documented and then it disappears for 600 years. And then, you know, what, how is that really a useful term to look at things? And if anything, it just, at the most practical level, I think it kind of makes this thing's music seem boring. You know, I was a kid, especially, and I remember learning, taking some classes for Persian classical music. And I was like, oh, wow. Like this is like old music. Like, literally, this just sounds old, you know? It's like the same thing as forever. Getting older, I realize that it's unique and dynamic and this, that. But, you know, that's important stuff, I think, for people to really engage with the culture, I think, more honestly and more critically. And, you know, I think that's what that's kind of one of the cool things that Ajam does for everything, you know? Whether it's music or Noru's, actually, we bring that kind of critical perspective for people that, you know, wouldn't really find it otherwise. No, we try to at least. We well, try, we try, yeah. Um, and I think this is a really good segue. We're talking about tradition. We're talking about, uh, you know, preconceived notions. And, you know, it's no reason we're reflecting. And come here, you're just talking about a, new, a, a no ruse discourse, right? Yeah, I mean, I feel like I can't, I can only speak for the diaspora experience because I'm living in, I'm not living in Iran, obviously. I didn't grow up there. But I, you can see it online and uh, in so many like spaces where the same way, if, at least for other holidays, I think people try to critically talk about them, especially in the United States, but I know in other places too. Um, the way that, for example, every Thanksgiving we say like, you know, there's an indigenous element to this. There's a genocidal element to Thanksgiving. For Noru's in some ways, I think more and more every year I see these recurring, very important conversations. Um I want to highlight a few, but you kind of gave me a good example for another one, Rustin. But the first one, the most basic, what do we call it? You know, no ruse is what I like people to say, and I think sounds nice, but all over. But then you have somebody who is not necessarily familiar with the 
holiday, they say, okay, what's that? And yeah. then then comes the qualifier, right? Oh, Persian New Year, Iranian New Year, which is, you know, and not really great because then if it's New Year for a lot of people, as we always say, from mm. Eastern Europe to Western China, basically, it's a holiday. So that's why I always think, you know, it's difficult, obviously, all of us, I think, navigating these cultures and identities, especially in a very hostile um, and xenophobic, you know, sort of space that we all live in, in, you know, the West or the global North or whatever. But I just think it is important to try to hold on to whatever term is most inclusive, because it obviously is very, like, kind of rude and disrespectful to just claim a holiday for yourself. Oh, I completely agree. Uh, I completely agree 100%. And I think that uh, we should think about ways to make Nowruz more inclusive, especially in our diaspora communities, mm-hmm. right? Oh, so, yeah. for example, like, what do we lose when you call it Iranian New Year's? Will your, will, are your friends in Azerbaijan, will they join? Uh, your friends from Tajikistan or, mm-hmm. or Afghanistan, will they join? I mean, if the whole point is bringing people together... Um, I don't understand why um, there is this sort of uh, uh, insistence that that no ruse has to be, you know, an Iranian New Year or Persian New Year. When in fact, like as you mentioned, like this is this is a holiday that is very much tied to um, just natural phenomenon, mm-hmm. right? It's tied to the equinox. It's tied to spring, right? This is something that everybody celebrates, like. Um, so yeah, I don't I know. How would you how would you consider making uh, no rules so more inclusive? When I tweeted, I said well, we don't call anything else that you know, like we don't say like Thanksgiving if someone asks. Like we don't say like America Turkey Day, you know. Although you would as a joke. And then someone tweeted back at me and they said, "Well, what about Chinese New Year?" But that's one that we call, it's supposed to be Lunar New Year because other cultures also celebrate right, it. Right. And that's the same thing where. If you speak to someone who's from a culture that celebrates Lunar New Year and you say Happy Chinese New Year, they're going to be like, um, no, but, you know, nice try. So I think, you know, I'm a, I think keep it simple. I think we call it Nowruz. And if someone asks, you just say, you know, it's a new year celebrated where I'm hail from, insert your country. And then you say, but it's also celebrated other places. I'm sure there's like some good study or article that we can find that explains you know, the association of Nowruz in different places. But I think it is a little bit funny because for us in the United States, like because of the size of the Iranian diaspora community, it has kind of become like Iranian New Year, Persian New Year. But, you know, that's just here. In other places, you know, in Turkey, for example, like you wouldn't call it. No one would even think like, oh, Persian New Year. When I talk to my friends in Turkey, it's sort of like, oh, it's our New Year, remember? And they're like, oh, yeah, like oh, it's not, you know, it's you guys and then Kurdish community and this and that. So it's a little bit of an America-specific thing maybe in some ways, but I still think it's important. For sure. But that was just one. The second one I want to get to, um, okay, well, yeah, we should, this one should be first. This should be second is the Haji Firuz discussion. Can we table that for a hot second? Okay. I mean, it's table, related. Table it, table it's, it. it's related to it for sure, okay. right? Um, I just want to think about a little bit more about what it means to celebrate Nowruz because it goes back to tradition, right? It goes back to what sorts of, how do you commemorate Nowruz? How do you celebrate Nowruz? And this comes to, to like, okay, what there are certain specific rituals and actions and, and things that you set up and partake and perform, right? You have, if you're Iranian, you have half seen, right? If you're Afghan, if you're Afghan, you have half miwa, right? Like if, 
Um, what I'm saying is like, if you were to do these celebrations, mm-hmm. right, somebody's going to come to a no ruse thing and do they feel that maybe their articulation of no ruse is not celebrated when they walk into some of these spaces, right? So how do we, how do we actively make this something that where um, if Char Shambasuri is like jumping over fire, specifically a Iranian variation mm-hmm. of it, like, or, you know, uh, there are different practices in other parts. Like how do we actually create a space where people can bring some of these different Norus traditions together and celebrate it in a syncretized way. Well, you know, in some ways I feel like maybe the goal isn't to bring it all together because the difference is what makes it interesting and unique, you know? Like I think about how in some places, you know, the jumping over the fire instead of Char Shambasuri happens on the day of Norus, mm-hmm. you know? Like I think a lot of Kurdish Norus is like that from what I've seen and in Azerbaijan, which you've showed us good footage of before, um, sometimes that happens on the day of Nowruz. So what I think is interesting there is to sort of appreciate that difference and let that exist and let that exist alongside other traditions because I think the only least common denominator is having a good time, you know? It's, it's <laughs> a sure. happy time, right? Like, there's so much difference between the way it's celebrated that I don't know if it could be ever brought all together, at least in the near future, for people in diaspora. I mean, I I think that even that sort of practice can be really problematic in certain ways. But Mm -hmm. I I don't think that that project is inherently a terrible vision, right? I think that there are. I think that there is some sort of uh, benefit for at least our community to realize that okay, yeah, like half seen is not the essential essence yes, of yes. no rules right like okay like there are and and when when they go up and they see these other articulations right they don't say oh well we do it differently or oh well ours is this way right like mm-hmm. i think there's something to be said oh wow like yeah of course these places there's different traditions and whatever but i i also want to make sure that i for example i would love to learn more about no rules in different mm-hmm. places and i'm trying to find spaces where you know i can actively uh, participate and engage and 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 uh, with people that that celebrate it, in addition to uh, as opposed to just kind of existing in my codified sort of standard traditions that I'm familiar with, and I think that's really hard in the states unless you actively go and search for uh, different communities that are that are celebrating no ruse. Uh, yeah, no, totally. That's that's why I guess I feel like my my standards and my dreams are a little bit low because yeah, I would just want the same thing is. You know, the if the typical person engaging in Noru's could just realize everyone does it different, you know, and that you can't just assume that everyone celebrating Noru's is is on board with your type of celebration. Not in a bad way, but just to understand that. But I think what's hard is that, you know, the size and the prominence um, of different diaspora communities makes some of those, depending on where you live, just harder to access, For sure. you know. And... You know, just the reality, like, I think that um, when we look at who has emigrated to the United States, um, even you can also discuss more broadly, like in Europe, like what are the largest communities that celebrate Noru's? I feel like that's where you see the coloring of the, the holiday. It sort of has to get viewed through that lens, you know. But, you know, at the same time, where there are those opportunities for overlap, I do think that people don't embrace them enough, like... If I'm speaking from experience, like growing up in Los Angeles, there's a big Iranian community, sure, but there's also a big Afghan community. Right. Same with D.C. and Virginia, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, Norus should be 
more shared if it you know if if that was possible um because yeah I, I think i remember always being aware that it was a shared holiday but there wasn't really any opportunities for that syncretism so i think that's something for the for the future that would be nice to encourage is like can we actually could we what you're saying is yeah could we celebrate noruz together we as in different communities that you know already um have the holiday as part of our culture. I think that's interesting. Yeah, that's something I would love to see. But a big part of that is, I think the first step is breaking down the sense of cultural ownership, you know, and a little bit of chauvinism sometimes, right. where it's like exactly what you're saying. This is right. We do it this way. You know, half scene has to be no ruse or... Yeah, and that's one big thing. And of course, the second one, I think, is some of the... What do we call them? Problematic practices. I don't know what the word is exactly, but... So racist, one, practices. racist practices <laughs> like with just like yeah uh, very dark histories to them that i think don't they don't really fit in where we live now haji fear is the biggest one yeah and for our listeners i think that this is definitely one of the pieces that has been circulated the most is one of the most popular pieces and it's one of our older pieces uh with one of our uh, co-editors bita bagulizade she wrote this i think 2012 Thank you, Bito, for yeah. writing that. This, I mean, this is clearly always a top 10, like, in our, like, uh, most popular articles. Mm, totally. But just exploring the um, the history and the historical connections and the legacies of um, the Indian slave trade and the character of Haji Firuz. Uh, sorry, the Indian ocean Indian slave, ocean slave yeah, trade. The Indian yeah. ocean slave trade. And, um, yeah, and, you know, we don't have to... Uh, to rehash kind of the the arguments that kind of ha- um, go out, but we can talk that you know still to this day um, when this article is shared or circulating in Noru's, like you still get the same sort of backlash each year, you know. And it's funny we've been following it for what now, like you know, seven, seven years. years. Oh, we're getting old, and it's just like every mu- every March, I'm like, oh, yep, okay. How many times do I have to hear? Yeah, his face is black because of the fire of like the soot from the fire or like, oh, you know, we didn't have slavery in Iran. So and like, messed up. It's like, I understand that, you know, education is a, is a, you can't just do it one off, mm-hmm. right? You can't just write an article mm-hmm. and expect that um, your community will, will get uh, it, will get it, right? And that for those that have the patience, which we all should as, you know, as educators and public, um, in the public humanities, right? Like we're supposed to be patient, but sometimes it gets really frustrating. Well, that's that's what I'm saying about the Noru's discourse where you're saying it's every March. Like it really is a discussion that every year about, you know, the different sides of this holiday and what it means. And, you know, I agree it's frustrating to see it every year, but I do think that there's been a lot of progress because especially this year, I remember early on like the go-to source, if you wanted to explain to someone on the internet, the situation with Haji Firuz was Bita's article. But now, you know, I see it in so many other places written. I've actually read some really nice discussions of it in Farsi, some of them linked to Bita's article, you know. And not to say that it totally wasn't there before, but the extent to which it's proliferated has actually, it kind of gives me hope, you know, because at least I remember growing up, you know, in the U.S. and it was just, it was just there, you know, and I... I don't think I you would ever hear anything about it from people or any sort of discussion of it to the point where now, at least among a certain generation, 
it's something that is discussed, you know, and there is at least a, a discussion happening about what to do about, you know, the issue and, you know, how can we basically teach people what's wrong about this practice and, you know, it's history. So I think that that's like, you know, that's something I, I welcome, you know, the oh, I agree. discussion. Totally. Yeah. Um, I just, one of the things that also uh, I'm concerned about, right, is kind of this um, yearly uh, upwelling of discussions about race in Iran and only for it to be kind of slowly as March goes on to, to end, right? Yeah. So, I mean, like, Haji Firuz should be opening doors for us to have a really large conversation about the history of slavery, the history of Persian ethnocentrism, the history of racism in, in Iran, right? We should be talking, we should use this as an as a opportunity to talk about um, ethnic minorities in Iran. We should talk about what it means to be an Azerbaijani or a Baluchi or uh, Ahwazi in Iran, right? Like, these are... Um, separate issues right but they have large political ramifications that are happening today right so for me i what i want is haji firuz the discussion of this to not just be a one-off thing of whether or not we should celebrate uh this particular ritual on this holiday but actually have it be a reflection of uh what is persian ethnocentrism what is our role in participating in some of these practices right yeah that's a good no, that's such a good point because it's i think it it strikes at the core of some of the the compli- the most complicated parts of iranian identity in the last let's say 100 or 150 years which is trying you know efforts by people and by the state and you know a lot of different actors to try to sort of homogenize things in the name of like a nation or something right. and of course there's there's casualties along the way that i think still need to be dealt with um and I think a lot of people who we shouldn't forget that, you know, the Iranian community in the U.S. is quite diverse, you know. Um, and I think a lot of people, even if they're not living in Iran, um, who either are fans of Adjam or just simply live in diaspora, I think that there is still a lot of um, it's like a, it's, it's trauma. It's sort of um, it's it's confusion. It's a lot of conflict that comes from trying to reconcile these different identities because even from the most passive engagement with Iranian culture that I think happens in diaspora it can feel very limiting you know and this there's so many we have Ajam articles discussing it and there's a whole discourse online about it of the most basic fact of people calling themselves Persian you right. know instead of Iranian sure. things like that which you know it can touch so many different members of the community in a very negative way, this thing that is seen as very kind of fundamental to, you know, the Iranian experience, this among many other things. And I, I agree that I think um, while it's great that Nowruz brings a little bit of critical reflection, this has to be every all year round, right. you know, because um, as terrible as the as the Haji Firuz caricature is, once you start to understand what it what it represents just one of many examples of you know ways that stereotyping of different ethnicities and minorities in Iran has kind of lives you know and is acted out and performed and you know there's other things too I think that need to be discussed and I think it even does touch Char Shamasuri yeah a little sure. bit I, I mean we led with that at the beginning but, that, but I want to come back to it because I think it's I think about it a lot actually since we discussed mm. it the first time uh, like a year or so ago yeah, can I, um, you know, 
I, w- I will say my experience with it. And I also, it also ties back to some of our adjunct articles. But um, we, I remember, I think it was 2000, when was I? It was 2006, 2007, when I was, I was, I was back in Iran visiting uh, my family. And I was just having a discussion with one of my relatives about um, celebrating Nowruz and Charshan Basuri. At that point, when I was in high school, was one of my favorite holidays, right? Because... Um, that was a time where like, you know, I grew up in Andover, Massachusetts, like a pretty suburban, like Bostonian, boring, like a boring place. Yeah. You're very like, <laughs> no offense to my Andover friends. I don't think anybody listens to this podcast, but, but <laughs> Andover days, but, um, yeah, like a very kind of, uh, uh, you know, tiny, sleepy community. And like, for me, like getting a bonfire in the backyard and inviting all my friends from high school was like a really fun sort of thing to do. And when I was in Iran, I actually had this conversation with one of my family friends or, and they, ac- they actually said, you know, like, oh, I, I don't really like Charshan Basuri. And I asked her why. And she's like, well, I grew up with um, my neighbors were Zoroastrian. There was Artoshti. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we, we kind of have this idea that Charshan Basuri is this, you know, uh, Zoroastrian uh, remnant of 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 uh the noru celebrations but in fact um for for this family the zoroastrian uh family they 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 thought that this was a, you know, highly offensive because of uh the position uh the placement of fire in uh, the religious cosmology of, of zoroastrianism is one of purity it's not about um having it take your illness or your sickness right you're supposed to keep the fire clean and so she told me, yeah, like, um, and basically since since the nineteen since the nineteen sixties, I have never participated in Charshan Basuri. Yeah, that's what I think is so interesting is that people who, with you know, in relation to their own kind of cosmology of Iran, they kind of just like to pick and choose, and you know, cafeteria style, buffet style, pick what they want. They just sort of say, oh, you know, anything we can't explain, ancient. Anything fire, it's probably ancient Zoroastrian and it's all good and it's our culture, this, that. But it erases, you know, sometimes the short history of these practices where we don't actually know how old some of these practices are. And it erases some of the, how would you say, um, kind of the, the, the more difficult things to discuss and think about. And I think this is one of the best examples because, you know, even at this... Um, Noru celebration that I was at, sorry, the Charshan Basuri celebration I was at, there was this idea of, oh, you know, the speaker was saying we're collect- connecting with our ancestors, with, you know, carrying on this tradition, and it's so nice this way that we we think about the fire. But if you think exactly as you were describing, Rustin, your, you know, your family member was saying, the the nature of fire and, you know, the history of Zoroastrian practice in Iran, it doesn't make sense to jump over it. You know, especially when you're saying, uh, you know, yeah, Zardia's man of it. Yeah, man right? like you're you're actively, um, you're just like dirtying you're, the you're fire, just right? engaging in in a weird way where it's yeah. like if you've you know you learn and or you personally know if you're you know member of the Zoroastrian community that the role that fire has, you obviously you know you're not just lighting them in the street and throwing esfand in it and then jumping over it right. like. We, I think, romanticize that connection, especially people that want to feel um, connected to, I guess, maybe something ancient mm-hmm. or usually pre-Islamic. 
about but I mean, this, culture. And I think this is a really good point is, right? Like we use it as this sort of callback to Zoroastrianism when, dude, Zoroastrianism is a living, breathing exactly, religion exactly. where uh, practices have changed and things, I mean, it still exists, right? So like when you're saying that this is a Zoroastrian I, I have people say, "Oh yeah, this is this is Zoroastrian thing," and I'm mm-hmm. like, "Well, I mean, it's not though. Like, no Zoroastrian I know participates in this sort of ceremony, right?" So, like, um, I think it gets back to your point, right? This idea that it is this sort of callback, it's atemporal romant- yeah, romanticization of yeah, exactly of, of uh, a particular tradition. And here's another question. Okay, so that doesn't change the fact that when you're in Tehran and Chashamba Surya, it's like a war zone, right? There's like bombs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's bombs there. Like there's, there's uh, fireworks. There's loud stuff. Yeah. People are out there in the streets celebrating. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one of the, the more joyous times of the year. Does that mean that this holiday should be um, abandoned? Oh, you can't abandon it, right? Even though like we can sit and think about what one it of, means. What and, it means. You know, what it, I don't know. That's not a question that I'm I'm particularly um, well versed or even interested in having. Oh no, yeah, point, yeah. You know? No, it's a, it's a not enough time in the podcast to go yeah. into that. But it is a it is just something that I think is sometimes missing from um, from like I guess you want to call it like the larger discussion about celebrating and keeping no rules alive is that when you're in a sort of diaspora situation particularly or you know let's say even in iran where sometimes it's celebration is at odds with like other norms or cultural religious norms it's hard to also step back and say well let's think about this and what does it mean and what are the implications of the way we're celebrating and i just think that's it's kind of just a shame there's no really other way to put it that we're in such a defensive posture because i also you know Oh, what do you say in English? Like, like, I feel for people that get upset a little bit when we try to talk about Noru's critically because they're, you know, especially if you're living in diaspora, you're getting so much hate for being Iranian or being from anywhere, really, that celebrates Noru's. You're getting so much sort of racism and hate all the time that you don't want to then also have to be on the defensive about your culture from other people. So I do sort of feel that, but you still can't run away from these more difficult questions of just saying, well, what brought us Noru's as it exists today and who can, you know, sort of be included and who isn't included. So just to say, I mean, if if at the very least, you know, in the coming future, we can become a, a community that looks critically at this and all the implicated issues with the holiday, I think that will be a good start, you know, because like you're saying, it's the key. All right. It's it's one moment where everyone suddenly connects with their culture, but potentially, you know, it can have longer lasting. Um, it can be like a spark for some people to look at other things that need to be critically examined in how people define Iranianness and what counts as being, you know, Iranian or not Iranian. Yeah, and as you mentioned, like this is something that we you you mentioned this idea that uh, no ruse becomes a, a site of. Um, expression of one's identity in a place that is, you know, precarious, right? Mm-hmm. So in the U.S., this idea of uh, Iranophobia, for example, but, I mean, this is not just there, like, right, if we talk about the Kurdish uh, case, right, where um, in, in Turkey, you know, Nowruz celebrations are often prohibited, right? So mm-hmm. Nowruz has always been political in some way, shape, or form. It's always attached to politics, right? So 
Um, I think if we, as we move forward, we think about the different layers of political meaning embedded within these traditions and where it's celebrated and how it's celebrated, um, it's, it will do us some good. It's not just something that we do um, because we're you know, Iranian or Turkish or Azerbaijani or whatever, but realize that having these rituals and having these sorts of celebrations uh, means something in the political world in which, in which we live. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that we've written about that in Rajam before. Um, some of the past Nowruz articles talk about, you know, the political nature of Nowruz. And I think, you know, maybe the next step, if we're say, if we're calling it like an evolution, if there's a, if there's a teleos to all of this, you know, if, if it's going from awareness of difference and awareness of how certain traditions can overshadow those of other people, I think what's next is... Um, to get a little bit more critical and pull the veil off some of these, um, you know, like we're saying, these kind of romanticized images of overlap and not even to necessarily very um, divisive or controversial ends, but just out of pure curiosity. Like one of the things that I, I think is always interesting is people fold in the Armenian Terendez tradition, which is a similar kind of like day involving fire. And it's a usually... I believe it's in February, but I will edit that out if that's not right. Um, and then sometimes it gets thrown in articles like, uh, you know, people in the region do Char Shambasuri, Armenians do Terendez. And, you know, that's it's good to acknowledge things like that, but let's also not flatten differences because right. I'm always curious and, you know, trying to learn more. Well, what's this other holiday? You know, how do people do it differently? Or, you know, in... In every single example, you know, Kurdish or, or Azeri, Azerbaijani, Noruz, what are the actual differences and where do they come from? Because acknowledgement is a good first step, but there's so much further to go in actual ap- appreciation and engagement, you know, with these different traditions. Yeah, and I think you really hit the nail on the head there with uh, with some of the problems of trying to integrate some of these things is flattening those, those very important differences. Um, yeah, I think that that was a... Really good no ruse discussion. Wow, like I actually haven't talked about, you know, I've been, because I've been busy writing and I've been flying a lot. So I haven't, and my family is not here in the States. So like I haven't really sat and like talked about, you know, no ruse seriously. You had, um, so this was really nice. Yeah, delit porbud, you know, you had to <laughs> let it out. No, I feel the same way. Yeah, I think we, we write and read a lot of this stuff, but it's sometimes, there's not really often a lot of space to actually just go through it and you know put it into words um and for our listeners i guess to hear people put it into words but you know i think it's um as much as we think that we know and we're sometimes um inundated in our own culture in our own ways um i think sometimes we need to reflect and literally hold a mirror up to each other and sort of see how our thoughts and our ideas play out so i yeah this was good uh i think what I want to move to, unless you have another idea, is what kind of submissions we want. Oh, like as we think about as the new year? As we think about the new year. Because something that this is actually making me think, all the things that we touched upon that, oh, we want to learn more about this. Oh, we want to learn more about that. These are the kinds of submissions, especially now that we are paying writers, so I don't, we don't feel any guilt or shame like meekly asking for submissions. I think we should fill in the gaps of a lot of, you know, through the Ajam project, 
a lot of these other cultural practices for Nowruz. And not just, you know, when Nowruz comes again next year, but I think there's always time to look into these sort of interesting overlaps with Ajam or Persianate culture a little bit further out. And, you know, I think the the core of the Ajam project being, you know, the sort of Persian-speaking world um, geographically is something that we always try to problematize and go through. But I want to just make a call, like, let's push the boundaries of the Ajam submissions we get. Yeah. You know, like, we, for example, we always talk about, again, to go back to Noru's, um, the the Bektashi, like, importance of Noru's, right? Like, the Western limit, kind of, of the Ajam world sometimes, you know, depending on how you think about diaspora and things like that. But... You know, things like that to the where we don't have a lot of Albania articles, you know, we don't have a lot of Bektashism articles. I want to, at least from a simplified geographic perspective, I want to go west. I want to go east, you know, I want to go south. Um, that's my that's my call, Rustin. I don't that's know. What are, you, what, are you, what are you looking for? You know, that's uh, I was thinking the exact opposite. <laughs> no, I mean, like, I love it. Uh, don't worry. I'm like 100% on board. But this idea of you know, we're pushing out the boundaries of Ajahn, but I think that we have these, you know, these micro boundaries that exist within Iran that we think that, you know, Iranian studies um, as people that got degrees in this field, like that we kind of take for granted, right? Like I think that what I would love to see, especially considering, and this goes back to what I was mentioning for our discussion on Nowruz, what I would love to see is more discussion about ethnic minorities in Iran. Like I'm not an expert, so... Um, I would really like to know um, about, you know, uh, the the Kurdish population in Turk in, in Turkmen Sahra, for example. I would really like to know about... Um, <laughs> I've been talking about this for weeks. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but, you know, the Baluchi community that um, uh, I have I have yet to see an article really on our website, and it's been seven years, but, like, I would love to see more stuff from... Um, parts of Iran that we kind of take for granted when we shouldn't, right? It's a huge gap in our in our ability to produce um, knowledge about the country if you're leaving out um, half, the, half the population that speak different languages, that have different um, sort of uh, regional, um, sorry, that, that they speak different languages, that they live in different parts of the country. So I think like that's something that I would like to see is moving, um, finding these other um, boundaries that exists closer to to our own comfort zone and and filling in those gaps that we have as as Iranian studies scholars. I totally agree, and you know what? Um, I think then to sum it up, I want to push the boundaries out and then go deeper in <laughs> because there's so much of this richness, obviously, but I would say particularly hard to access in English. Um, especially with this sort of the kind of approach that Ajam takes information about these different communities that they're not just, you know, in Iran, potential subjects of study, but living among us as in the community, you know, there are people from all these communities that are living in diaspora or are engaging themselves in producing knowledge and things like that. And I want to capture that a lot more. Um, I, you know, then if we're if we're talking out loud of about our own ideas, I wrote a few years ago about um, uh, I think I did a photo essay of Khuzestan, where my where my parents were from, 
And in the years since, um, my, my father's from this from a city called Desful, has a different dialect of Farsi. Um, I have some relatives who've gotten into like the Desfuli literary scene, you know, and it's been on my mind the past few months that, you know, I th- think there's something so interesting in discussing some of these other identities and um, how do I put them? Um, the kind of the kind of sort of micro differences in Iran or micro identities where it it won't be in your Near Eastern Studies 101 textbook, you know, right. whereas I feel like you get, you know, if you take a basic Middle Eastern Studies class in college, you say, they say, oh, look, there's this ethnic, there's Kurds, there's, you know, Turks, this, that. But getting into the smaller differences, um, like you were saying about um, in Turkmenistan, kind of near there, I was thinking of Kurmanji Kurds in uh, basically Khorasan, like eastern part of Iran. I've been reading for weeks just with whatever I can online, trying to learn more about, you know, that community. And I just think that's just that level beneath the sort of, again, sorry, what we're saying, the level of going beyond acknowledgement of difference and existence of these communities, but actually learning more about different cultures. Um, I want that too. So please submit... um, Please, uh, yeah, submit to us through our new form. Yeah, so um, actually, th- I think this is a good time to talk about that, right? So um, for those of you who don't know, we've been, we expanded recently. We got new editors on board, and we'll be sure to uh, give everybody an opportunity to introduce themselves in due time. But one of the things that one of our new editors did was they created a very fancy and nice Google form and submissions page on the website, so as opposed to just emailing us, just visit the website. You'll see a tab for submissions. Uh, go there and just fill out the Google form. It's a super easy process. Write us a pitch, um, and we'll get back to you in, in less than a week, and uh, we, can, we can take it from there. I think the last thing before we wrap up, because this has been an epic conversation, um, although of an appropriate length, can we also make a call for people to be on the podcast with us? Yeah, for sure. Because we've been tapping our networks and we still have actually some recorded um, interviews that are going to be coming out soon that Rustin gracefully um, um, gracefully conducted uh, in the past few months. But I think we should also just sort of put out a general solicitation if you're working on an interesting project that you think our, our listeners would find um, uh, would find ajami, or it just sort of intersects with with the interests, uh, let me start over. If you're working on a project that you think would appeal to the the type of people that listen to ajam, uh, or you're just really interested in a certain topic and you want to share some of what you know about that, uh, you should reach out to us. How do they reach out to us, by the way? Submissions form or email us, info at agemmc.com. Yes, you can use either one, but if you specify podcast somewhere in there, our um, expert team of editors will, will notice that, or Rustin and I ourselves will notice <laughs> that, and we'll reach out to you. Um, we don't compensate our podcast guests. Um, 
although I, I you know definitely i think this host should be should be compensated so rustin if you want to give me like buy me a coffee after um i would appreciate that but <laughs> we will you know we we can exchange a, a plug you can like talk about whatever thing you're working on and um you know of course adjam fans have a lot of uh, disposable income so they're gonna go out and buy whatever thing you you talk about um so i think that works out but yeah definitely get in touch if you want to be um be on the podcast with us sure and i think that another thing to do is even if you don't want to be on the podcast i've been i've been each episode i i urge people to engage with us on social media ask us questions um tell us what you want us to talk about um yeah so please like um we we really love the feedback so if you um reach out to us we'll be we'll be more than happy to um, engage in more conversations yes all feedback angry happy whatever it is just but be nice be angry but nice yeah yeah yeah, yeah we're, you, i have a thin skin i know yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> i can't keyboard warriors like please don't be too mean you know like don't roast us too hard um I've, I've definitely had my fair share of trolls that I think Google me and, and find some some wiry barbs to mm. stick in, in my thin skin. But, you know, try your best to be nice, huh, guys? I think, uh, I think we can leave it at that. Okay, so I will play us out then with some, um, some Sorna music, actually, because we were discussing it. The, it's, you know, it's funny because I have this album this mixed folder from years ago of like unnamed Bakhtiari Lori music and like Lori from like Loristan music, but it doesn't really have any tracker artist names. So um, I will try to figure out what this is and maybe post that in the uh, description for this uh, podcast. But I hope it's appropriate for, for the Noru's, um, the Noru's uh, season. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited to listen. So to everybody, Noruzatun uh, Piruz or Noruzatun Mubarak. Thank you for listening. Yeah, and uh, until next time. From all of us at Ajam, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. <laughs> <laughs>